Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen. We come now to the final verse of the epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, this would then close off our time in the book in this epistle itself I have a mind uh, to uh, have a wouldn't be next week but maybe the week after all being well to do a brief overview of some of those uh, those doctrines that we've we've seen in these six filled rich uh, chapters um, that's something we didn't do at the beginning I, w I find it personally sometimes a bit dry if you go straight in with order and structure and, and doctrines as opposed to going into the text itself. So it's something I consciously didn't do at first, um, but I have a mind that I may still do that um, for one more meeting. So we saw the apostles well-wishing in verse 23, and he wished peace upon the brethren, and he had that well wished that they would have faith with love and and he made it also clear in verse 23 that the source the origin of these blessings is from the triune Jehovah himself we saw that the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost uh, being there either directly mentioned or indirectly inferred and now he finally closes his epistle 
uh, by pronouncing a rich and yet very simple benediction, one of the simplest benedictions that we have in the New Testament scriptures upon the Ephesian believers and upon us also as we read and hear. And so we had the we had the was the apostles well wishing and now we have the apostles closing benediction the apostles closing benediction and he speaks that out he he writes it in verse 24 grace be with all them that love our lord jesus christ in sincerity amen so firstly let us just consider what a benediction is what, it, what is a benediction as we, as we come to this benediction well firstly it's a blessing uh, and that's what we get in the word benediction itself bene meaning well or good and diction means things that you say so benediction uh, things that are good speaking good things and it is of course the exact opposite of a curse which would be called the malediction speaking bad things to someone or over someone or about someone using curse, a cursed language so good things then or benefits are, are spoken of or, or gifts we should say <clears throat> good gifts are spoken of and spoken forth and we're well wishing if we want to make a differentiation between well wishing and benefits well wishings are the positive thoughts of a mere man in that way but a benediction is, is something different because a, a human blessing, a human benediction, as then they could be uh, just good words and then it just remains as, as words, nice words. But a human blessing can also be realized. It can be done. It can be something practical. It be, can, can be something emotional uh, that you could say something like, you know, oh, your presence was such a blessing this evening. Um, or somebody helps in some way and they, they give you an envelope and, and you have a financial need and you can say, you know, that financial gift was such a blessing. So there can be blessings that come from, from man, from mankind. But a biblical blessing is, is of a different degree because a biblical blessing will be actualized when it fulfills God's conditions. And that's what we see here because that blessing is derived from God. And more of that as we get into, into it. So it is a blessing, but in this case it is a, a divine blessing. It's not only a divine blessing, but a divine declaration of a blessing. And the apostle is here, and not only Paul, but uh, other, uh, other apostles that write in the New Testament, often, often pronounce uh, or declare a, a, a a divine benediction at the end of their epistles, the end of their writings. And that is a, a benediction over the recipients of that letter, and in our case over the readers and the hearers of that letter that it goes forth. And the benediction is part of divine inspired scripture. And therefore, although Paul himself is the penman, and it is God actually through him, that declares this benediction. No doubt Paul wrote many other things in his life, in his younger days when he was studying as a Pharisee and all these other things, but, but they are not contained within the 66 books of Scripture. It's only those books that he wrote uh, that the Holy Ghost ensured were brought into the canon of the New Testament that we can say they are infallible, they are inspired, and therefore God, God's blessing is upon them, God's power is within them, this is, the, this is the, the sword of the Spirit, sharper than any two-edged sword that man has ever made. 
Now, sometimes those benedictions, if you know, as you know from your own reading, as you come to the end of a letter, often they're in the second person. Uh, the common um, New Testament benediction at the end of a service is from 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. Uh, and that is in the second person. That's spoken directly uh, to somebody, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. And, and there are variants on that. Uh, at the end of Galatians, you can just go back a, a couple of pages maybe, and you see that Paul says to them at the end, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So again, speaking in uh, second person, second person plural, uh, speaking to all those who are receiving and reading the letter as we are uh, this evening. But this particular one, is there any differences? It's in the third person, without being too technical. He's saying, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. So he's describing the people to whom the blessing goes forth upon. He could have said, grace be with you all that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, uh, but he didn't. It is a, a more general but still uh, direct. So a divine declaration of a blessing upon all those that hear, they read the benediction, that they believe it. Faith is always mixed. And it's according, in this case, to the specifics of the blessing. In fact, all the benedictions all have a matter of, of condition in there. And in this case, the condition, or that was to say, the specific of the blessing is grace, as we read there at the beginning of the verse. And then the conditions of the blessing are all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. So it is a blessing, it is a divine declaration, but it is not a prayer. It is not a prayer, it ends in Amen, but it is not a prayer. When a, a benediction is pronounced to the reader at the end of one of these epistles, it is not a prayer. He's not saying, Lord, may it please thee to grant grace to all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That's not what it says. Uh, we just said it is a divine declaration and a de declaration that goes forth. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And, and in a similar way, when an, an ordained minister of the gospel at the end of the service pronounces a benediction, it too is not a prayer. It's not a prayer. A benediction is to be, is to be pronounced over the people of God. And then the minister there speaks the word of God over the flock of God. It is God's blessing that is spoken forth over the people, taken from the scriptures and spoken forth. And so the direction of the blessing is, is from heaven uh, through, through, through the scripture, through the, the speaking mouth of the minister upon the people themselves. A prayer, on the other hand, is, is very different. Uh, a, a prayer is a seeking of an answer to a need. And in the case of public worship, uh, on behalf of the people, via the minister upwards to God. And so something quite different. Uh, many have got into the habit of praying a benediction, because that's what they hear others do. Or I think, trying to understand why that's changed, is they may believe that it's something priestly or, or, or Roman Catholic, and as Protestants, they want to distance themselves from anything that's Romish, and that's very understandable, of course. However, it was the responsibility of those in the Old Testament to pronounce the blessing of God 
upon the people. We know from Numbers 6, 6 verses 24 to 26, the Aaronic blessing. Um, but we also see in, 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 by scriptural example in the New Testament that the apostles, as I said, they frequently close their communication with a benediction. But I would say that our great example is the Lord Jesus Christ. As he ascends up into heaven, and as is written in Luke chapter 24, and in verses 50 to 52, what we see is then he says, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And that's also why they're in, it's very common in certain Reformed churches for the minister to raise up both hands while the benediction is being pronounced, taking the example of the Lord from the Scripture itself. So we've, we've exampled a few things of what a benediction is. But secondly, let's come to this text and consider the grace that is to be had in this benediction. The grace to be had in this benediction. And so very briefly then, in this benediction, the blessing offered, the blessing to be received, is grace. We could say more grace. Grace upon grace. And indeed, the biblical benediction is a means of grace. And so the Ephesians, then, if we consider these Ephesians people, these, these people from a Greek background, uh, and they're on the, the west coast of, of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, uh, and they've, they've been brought into the church. They've entered into a, the physical church, the visible church, and they're coming under the means of grace. And, and they're, they're seeking to be blessed with receiving grace through those means. And we can consider, we know what those, many of those means are, the word, and prayer and sacraments. And we've added benediction now to the list. And where that grace is personally applied, we can call it uh, saving grace, that they've received grace from God unto salvation, that they've received the grace of God. And the Spirit of God as grace, the Spirit of God as a gift to them, the indwelling Spirit of God, to work that faith within them, to regenerate them, to, to bring them into a state of salvation or redemption. And so we may understand an aspect of that benediction then, as he's saying that grace be unto all them, in, in many other of the benedictions, and maybe this benediction where grace is spoken of, and to those who are unsaved, but there is still in the church, and they're hearing it, that, that there would be grace going forth to them that would be a saving grace. You could say then, then it would be an evangelical benediction. But that's not our strict context here, because it says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. So this grace is, to be, is, is, is pronounced upon those that are already saved. And therefore this benediction for grace is for an increase of grace. As, as John himself writes of when he speaks of those that believe, and he says in John 1 and verse 16, and as you know the chapter yourself, I trust quite well, speaking of Christ, and he says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. That grace is granted that we might 
grow in grace, that we might increase in grace, that we might receive more grace. And I know if you read through uh, theology books and even through uh, church history, you know, there are names that have been given to, to the gifts of God. Uh, which, and that's what grace means, gift. Gifted, undeserved favor of God. And so we, say, we could say then that this grace is, is sanctifying grace. And grace for grace, and in that, in that phrase in John 1.16, saving grace for sanctifying grace. And then as we continue that idea of believers receiving this benediction and the Lord blessing it to them and, and, and making it real, that it would be sanctifying grace unto sanctifying grace. And specifically then, as it says here, grace to all those that by God's grace love the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have that truth that to love the Lord Jesus Christ is all about grace itself. So the grace to be had in this benediction is pointing to the love of Jesus Christ, although it expresses it here as a condition. Grace be with all them, with everyone, no, with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, which brings us then to our third and final point then. So we've seen what a benediction is, very briefly, then the grace to be had in this benediction, and then thirdly, the condition for receiving this grace, the condition. And we read that verse once again then. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So this love that we see here, firstly, it is that unconditional love, that agape love that we see so frequently. I can't say all the time. There, are, there is that other word, that's, that, that um, philia, uh, love, as mentioned a few times in the Scriptures, but predominantly in the New Testament Scriptures, that word for love is this agape love. And what is he saying then? That all them that love the same Lord Jesus Christ as the apostles loved, as it says here. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a matter there that we have fellowship. We have a fellowship of, of, of more than one person that loves the Lord. But here we have an apostle saying, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can understand that in both, in both ways. There's no context to, to point us in one direction or the other. So not a false Christ but the Christ of the Apostles, the true Christ of God as he's revealed in the Scriptures. Grace be with all them that love, that truly love, the true Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever the Lord then commands in his word, we are to do it, and we are to love him and do it. We're to uh, love him and obey him. And also this, whatever providence the Lord brings into our lives, we are humbly to accept it, and we are to continue to love him. And, and that's really the, uh, one of the strongest understandings of what agape love is from the redeemed to the redeemer. We understand that he loves us unconditionally because there's nothing in us to love, but we are also commanded to love him unconditionally, uh, regardless of, of what he uh, commands of us. And we know his commandments are not difficult. But whatever providence he brings into our life, whatever cross he lays upon our back, that we're to continue to love him. So it's an unconditional love, and it is to be a genuine love, as we see here in that word, that phrase, insincerity. And it is, it is a strong expression. 
Yes, it does mean a sincere love. To all those that have a sincere love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But that Greek word behind it has a remarkably fuller meaning. And, and it has a, has, its meaning ranges from integrity, sincerity, as we've just looked at, to something incorruptible, even immortal and eternal. You may think, well, how can that simple word have all that meaning? Well, if you consider, if you compare uh, what that word sincerity means to a piece of wood, you've got to ask yourself, if you find a piece of wood and you want to build it into, say, a deck or something, and it's not a new wood you've bought, but you've, you've found it, and you ask yourself, is that wood sound? Is that wood solid, or, or, is, it, or is it rotten in some way? Is it, is it imperfect? Is it, is it warped? Will it last? Will it last a long time? If I, if I put that now into the deck, will it last? Or will it just break through in a week because it's, it's on the edge, it's, it's got a crack in it, it's got a shake in it, or whatever imperfection it might be. And that's the idea of this word here for sincerity. It speaks, it's, it's, it's a word that says not corrupt, not imperfect, uh, not about to fall apart, something that lasts, something that has, well then if we're going to go back to the word for wood, something that has structural integrity. So it's an it's a, a, a lasting love. It is a love of, with integrity. It's a love with sincerity. And that's the type of love towards Christ that is actually expected of believers then. To love the Lord Jesus Christ with integrity, with sincerity. And it is not to be a, a quick uh, emotional love. It is to be a lasting love, and it is to be a love that, uh, when it has received, when it is true love, it is, a, it is the fruit of grace, and yet more grace, I would suggest, is needed. But it will ripen and it will mature into what? Into an everlasting love. It is a, a love itself being the fruit of Christ's rich grace, one of the riches of Christ that we didn't touch upon on the Lord's Day morning. It is that um, genuine love. It's an unconditional love. It's a genuine love. But it is also a shared love, and that will bring us back to what we were considering a second ago. But it says, our Lord Jesus Christ, that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. So that sincere love is to be shared with others that love the Lord, that we are together to love the Lord as we read here in verse 24. But loving Christ is not only a personal matter. It's not only a personal matter. It is also a communal matter. You won't get that in the Scriptures. The Scriptures bring the, the two together all the time. Uh, and Peter himself, when he writes in 1 Peter 1 and 22, he, he joins those two together. And he says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned uh, love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Because that is a fruit of a true work uh, within. Uh, John goes on in his, his epistles a number of times to make very clear that if you, if you do not love the brethren, you have no true love towards Jesus. If you hate the brethren, you do not love Christ. And but we see here that this is also uh, linked here. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ 
in sincerity. So not just the Christ of the apostles, but our Christ who has saved us. And it must be the case that we love the brethren if our love to the Lord is in sincerity. And the reason why is because we see something of Christ in them. Our love towards the Lord Jesus Christ is is our love to those that bear something of the marks of Christ, something of the image of Christ, the restored image of God. The Victorian, there is a Victorian Baptist pastor called the Reverend J.H. Evans, and he once wrote on this verse and upon this truth, and he says this. He says, If I have a dear and beloved friend, I love his likeness. Although it may be but a poor and feeble likeness with many failures in it, yet there may be something about it which reminds me of him. And I love it because I love him. So do I love the saints of God. It is but a poor likeness, a faint resemblance, yet I see Christ in it. I see something of his meekness, his tenderness, and his love in it. And though it be but a poor picture... It reminds me of him, and I love it for his sake. It is the true principle of brotherly love. And so as we close off the, this, this epistle, this book, and this verse, may the Lord be pleased to grant us such rich grace to love the Lord, to love the brethren in all sincerity. Why? Uh, that we may receive more rich grace, as is the point of this benediction. And what would we do with that grace? That we would grow, we would grow in grace to love the Lord more and to love the brethren more and so continue. And this is the development, this is the improvement, this is the blessing, this is the sanctification of all true believers. Having received saving grace, that there is to be this sanctifying grace, this maturing grace. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity and he rounds it off with our men that little word that Hebrew word I mean essentially meaning so be it that it be so it comes from the word amuth in the Hebrew which means truth so true that, that it be true is what, is what the literal meaning is so be it is a good translation also grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity and then Amen, yet so be it that we would receive such grace. Amen. Let us uh, close this portion of our meeting in prayer, please. We give thee thanks, and we praise thy name, thou who art the source of all grace. O Lord, that undeserved favor and love and kindness, kindness and power that is granted to those who are unworthy unworthy of any good, any love, any blessing. And yet it pleases Thee to bless us repeatedly. Lord, that hymn that says, Count Thy blessings one by one. Lord, there are so many. We are are filled richly blessed by Thee. All the blessings of God. Lord, even if we consider, if we were to count them, we could not count them. If we were to stand still and, and consider them, we would miss them. We have a, a sinful memory, Lord. 
that does not remember all thy blessings, big and small. And yet, Lord, thou art the blessing God, the God of benediction. And yet there is a malediction that goes out towards those that are in their sin, the hate of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, Lord, we do give humble thanks to thee that there has pleased thee, Lord, to grant us grace to be saved and to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, not with, uh, with great ability, not with great power, not loving thee with all our heart, soul, strength and mind as is commanded and as we ought to do, as is our duty, but by grace in sincerity. And what a wonderful truth that is that thou hast planted that sincere love toward Christ. And Lord, we do pray that this benediction would be blessed to us, that we would have grace and grace unto grace, that we would mature and ripen, that Christ would increase and we would decrease. O oh Lord, that there would be holiness in our thoughts and words and deeds, that we would live the Bible, not just parts, but all of it. And Lord, that the old man of the flesh would be crucified. And Christ, who is exalted, would be seen more and more in our lives. We pray thee this in Jesus' name. Amen.